No, no, you can go with Katie. That was quite an introduction. Oh, I'm good. Uh, frankly, I, I have been very fortunate. I have had the chance to, to speak literally around the world. And I was thinking, I guess the first time I had a French horn solo. I love that. That was that was really cool. Uh, communication one on one. In order to communicate to a crowd, the first question you have to ask: Do they care? Because if you don't care about the subject, you can't be good enough, you can't be funny enough, you can't be creative enough. There's got to be a subject that we say, okay, we really care about. And as you think about it, a lot of those Bible stories, they're incredible. I mean, Lazarus come out of the dead? I mean, how incredible is that? I wasn't there. There's teaching there, but I wasn't there. The parting of the Red Sea, the Hebrew nation goes through on dry land. How incredible is that? I wasn't there. So, I'm wondering, is there anything we can talk about where you're there, where you're participating now? Not, not a story we learned from in the Holy Scriptures of events that happened, you know, centuries ago. Is there something happening right now that you're involved in right now that therefore you care about? And it's relevant. There's a battle in the heavens it's the invisible battle, and it's spiritual warfare, and you're involved. You're involved right now. And you might say, well, I, you know, I've heard about that. I'm not sure I believe it. Your belief is important. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind. There's a spiritual warfare going on, and you're involved, and the more we understand, the more encouraged we are. And this is uplifting to us to understand it. But it is such a deep subject that, in point of fact, we're never going to leave it for three sessions. Tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday morning. We're going to kind of un unpack it a little bit. And, and frankly, yeah, it's kind of deep. And there's a famous quote by Mark Twain. Somebody asked him, what do you do with all the, all the scripture you can't understand? Mark Twain said, I'm more worried about what I do understand. There's an awful lot about warfare that we do understand. And the more we grasp, the better it is. So let's begin with the big picture. What do you think about heaven? Is there such a place? Is it beyond our imagination? Is it light and, and precious stones and streets of gold and pearly gates and, and eternity? Do you understand eternity? I gotta tell you the truth. I don't. I understand things that start to stop. I can't wrap my mind around unending. I, I, I can't. Whatever eternity is, what's your view of heaven? And sometimes people miss the biblical truths about heaven. Have you ever thought of heaven in terms of multiple places? Or at least multiple levels? Not just a single place? Well, that's not up for question. That's a biblical truth. We know there are either multiple heavens or multiple layers of heaven. Okay, so where do you know that? Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2, 3, and 4. I know a man in Christ who was taken to the third heaven. I don't know whether this man was in his body or not, but God knows. He heard things he cannot ex explain, and no humans allowed to tell. So we know there's three. He was taken to the third heaven. Are there more? Who knows? Maybe. But eternally, the followers of Christ, death is not the end. I walk through the, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 23rd Psalm, remember that whole passage? I walk through death into eternity, whatever that is. This stuff is, is beyond our imagination. We've got to focus on what we know. One thing we understand clearly, we're a spirit. You're a spirit. I'm a spirit. 
This body isn't me. You're looking at me going, thank God for that. Right back at you. <laughs> We're housed in a body. The real spirit of Jimmy Tanner is, is emotional. My highs are high, my lows are low. I'm creative. I, 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 my, my spirit is different than yours. I'm Jimmy Tanner. But I'm housed in this body. And every time Jesus is asked about eternity, he dodges the question. It's almost frustrating. It's like politicians who are great at ignoring the question. The, 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 debate, the, the debate's coming up. I, I love to watch them because no matter what question you throw, they'll answer for a second and then bang, right for talking points. Whenever Jesus was asked about, about death, he always responded the same way. Follow me. Well, that's not the question. And then I read something that made this all for once became clear. You've got to use your imagination. Because it's obviously impossible. You're a spelunker. You, you, you go into caves. And you went to a cave nobody has ever been in before. Farther than anybody else. And you saw a human being, an adult, who was born and raised in that cave. I know. How? What do you eat? All that stuff. How do you learn language? I get it. Use your imagination. This person has been inside this cave. And you say, you've been in this cave all this time? Yeah. This is it. So you've never seen the sun? What's, what's the sun? Well, it, it, it's this bright orange. Oh, what's orange? But it gives off heat in the sky. What's heat? What's sky? You have the words to explain what it's like. To be out of that cave, there's no way that you comprehend it. At some point, don't you give up and say, come here, follow me. It's beyond your imagination. I've spent my entire life in the cave of this body. I don't know what it's like. Jesus had the words to explain what it's like to actually be out of the body going into eternity. But we could we could possibly grasp this. And he comes along and he makes a statement repetitively, and it's the key to everything. Seek ye first the kingdom. Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. We were created that we might live kingdom. People say, I can't figure out the meaning of life. I mean, I go to work, I come home, there's got to be more to it than yes, 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 there is more to it than that. You and I are created only for one reason. To live kingdom that God receives glory. You're going to hear that a lot this weekend. I am created that God receives glory. I, as I live kingdom, every, every day of my life that God receives glory, everything else is a symptom. How I am as a dad, how I am as a husband, how I am as a grandfather, how I am at work, how I, my character, my ethics, all comes back to I live my life that God receives glory. Now, these multiple heavens, we see it a lot. This is not, a, when I read 2 Corinthians, that's not a unique verse. Listen carefully to Revelation 8.13. I looked and I heard an angel flying through mid-heaven in a loud voice, woe to the inhabitants of earth, because the remaining blasts are yet to be sounded. A little bit further, but further in Revelation 14.6. I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to the world that dwell on earth. For there to be a mid-heaven, there's got to be more than one heaven. It's kind of common sense, but it's play, doesn't it? If there's a mid-heaven, there's got to be other heavens. So, the judgment bar, again, who can grasp this stuff? The judgment bar, whatever it is, exists, and it's not who's going to heaven who's going to hell. That's already established. It's about the crowns. Now, I don't think it's the real crowns, but it's the rewards. It's the decision of where we will spend eternity. Now, I'm convinced, I know my reward is not close to St. Paul's. But I really believe it's going to be better than people on the cross. 
The reciprocal is true, therefore. Because everything biblically has a reciprocal. If there are multiple layers of heaven, then therefore, there has to be multiple layers of hell. For instance, someone that, that's, a, that's a, a good man, a good woman, never brought Christ in their life. But the fact of the matter is, this is a good person. They're moral, they, they love their kids, they raise their kids, they pay their taxes, they were good citizens, they were, they were good neighbors, they were on a school board, whatever. They were good, good people. This, they're my best in their life. Their eternal hell is different than Hitler's. Like the bottom line, God is, God is just. With this big picture, we can begin to talk more seriously. Satan's singular goal is to rob God of glory. End of story. His only goal, we're created for the glory of God. Satan's only mission, as we understand the big picture of this stuff, is to rob God of glory. Robbing God of why we were created. Satan's ultimate weapon, single weapon, is accusations. Do you realize the name Satan literally means the accuser? Revelation 12.10 Satan the accuser of the brethren accuses them before God day and night. Somehow, and again, who can grasp this stuff up? Satan has access to God. And he does this so he can be the accuser. He comes to God and names you by name. He names me by name. And says, by the way, did you know what Gene Tanner did today? You didn't even go away. He names you by name. And says, you know what so-and-so did today? You didn't get glory there. He makes accusations by name. It's personal. Revelation 12 says, take the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God night and day. Scripture makes clear. Let's fast forward. End of time. Satan will be cast out of heaven. But until that happens, buckle up. He rules earth. We've got to be realistic about him here. He roams the earth constantly. Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. There was a day when the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered from walking to and fro on the earth. On earth today, it's a world of war, strife, hatred, riots. Do you accept this stuff as normal? Have we gotten used to it? The earth belongs to Satan. Remember when Jesus was tempted in, in the desert? The second temptation, Jesus comes to him and says, I tell you what, worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You know what bothers me? Jesus doesn't correct him at this point. Because Satan owns all the kingdoms of the earth. Doubt it. Watch the news tonight. Who kills who? Where are the riots today? So Satan has a control level on earth. And followers of Jesus us, have to be prepared to deal with this conflict because there is an invisible war going all the time. We care because you are in it. You are the front lines. And Satan wants you to totally ignore biblical truth about this. He wants you to float downstream of life. Pretend it's not a big deal. Satan just wants you so busy in your life that you almost ignore the reality of eternity. So busy in your life, good things, that we almost ignore, I'm in the front lines of this battle. And it's real. And you're involved. The, the warning of Scripture, listen carefully to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to give you verses 3, 4, and 5. 
For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, if denied power to demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up in knowledge of God, we take captive all of our thoughts and make it obedient. I read it fast. I talk fast. Listen fast. But you notice the words there? War. Weapons. Demolish. Captive. Strongholds. This is the war, and you are the front lines. And Satan loves you to be clueless. Now, one thing we need to understand as encouragement, those serving Christ are not on the defensive or the offensive. He's trying to stop us, not the other way around. I love Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. That's me and you. The gates of hell cannot prevail against two rivers, or, or Fairbanks first, or North Pole. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Now, yes, Satan has a level of control on earth, but eternally we win. So here's not the end all. The relationship of Paul and Timothy is a father and son. Now, they're not biblical father and son, but these guys, Tim, Timothy so loves Paul, and Paul's been mentoring Timothy. All these letters to Timothy from Paul are so great in love. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Excuse me, verses 3 and 4. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. No one engages in wealth and warfare, entangles himself in, the, in life. We must please him who has enlisted us as a soldier. Paul, to his beloved Timothy, is basically saying, you ain't a civilian. A soldier cannot act like a civilian. You can't live like other people. You have a spiritual calling. You're set apart. You're at war. Now, Satan, of course, wants to downplay this. Just float through life. Just pay your bills. Be a good person. He loves the clueless. Ephesians 6.12 We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, the darkness of age, against the host of wickedness in heavenly places. Again, though, did you notice how I ended in heavenly places? Plural. We wrestle. This is not a gimme. We wrestle. So the real Christian life isn't, isn't tips one to the tulips. It's not harps and music. And if you believe it's going to be that way, you're a pretty easy mark for the enemy. Every follower of Christ must understand warfare is your experience and you're not a civilian. Even the warning in Scripture about our commander, the Father, God, you ever notice when they're walking through the parted red seas, they, 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 they come out of Egypt, we're coming to the party of the Red Seas, and what are they chanting? Ephesians 15.3 The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. You say, yeah, okay, I, I hear you, but I'm not really involved because, frankly, I like this church, and I like the people here, but I'm not really serving Christ. You're involved. You, you are involved. The state is using your life to accuse you of everything you're doing, so that you don't live giving God glory. The only reason you were created was that God received glory. And therefore, I live my life daily that God received glory. That's kingdom living. We know the war began with rebellion. So when we come to Jesus, we're basically saying, I no longer want to rebel against you. And God comes along and says, all those who come to me, I will give you 
peace. Real peace. Isaiah, the promise, 57, 19. I will give peace. Real peace, those far and near, I will heal them, says the Lord. But the next verse is interesting. That was 57, 19. The next verse, he says, those who refuse to come. But in 57, 19, let's go right over verse 57, 20. But the wicked are like a cup of sea that cannot rest. And the waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. Pastor Bob had mentioned that I have one of the greatest hobbies on earth. I get to speak for cruise lines. I teach a Christian service on cruise lines. And so for 35 years, Tammy and I have spent so many, so many, so many cruises. They talk about storms at sea. It all is so rare. They're really good at, at nowadays knowing where the storm is going around it. It's one in a million they got to go through the storm. One time in 35 years of cruising, Tammy and I had to go through a storm. And I think our deck was seven or eight decks above the water, and we had a porthole. And it looked like a washing machine, the water, that the waves were coming up and splashing around. You couldn't walk. Not to be gross, but they had bags tight to all the stairwells. If people got sick, we would crawl. You couldn't stay in the room. It was just, you just, just never stopped. I went out and stepped on deck, and everybody else just in the open air. Because it, it, I thought, if you could just stop for half an hour and let me catch my breath, if you could just stop this movement for half an hour and let me get my legs underneath me, if you could just stop for a little bit, it'd be okay. But all night, that thing kept going. I kept thinking, this was in the brochure. <laughs> so, I, I think I, I, I've experienced that no peace. Without Christ, there are people who have good jobs and they're good people, but real peace, peace not in their gut, peace not in their soul, they're hungry for. And they're naive. They're serving Satan. They just don't know it. But there's nothing neutral here. You're either serving Christ or you're not. There's no third party here. There's no options. You're either in or out. And Satan calls their name night and day in accusation, saying, there's someone you created and they're not giving you glory. There's someone you created and they're not following you. There's someone you created and I have robbed you of the glory. So, where did the war begin? We'll get into it a little deeper tomorrow night. It began in heaven, but how did it get to us? Let's talk about how, how did it get to us? How are we involved? Genesis chapter 3 tells us, Lucifer, that Satan, appeared to Adam and Eve, the human parents of all of us. You know the story. God had given them the garden and said, it's all yours, not that one too. Satan gets them to forget the entire garden and focus on one tree. He's good at that. He knows how to get us to ignore all the blessings that focus on one thing. They ignored this gigantic garden. And all of a sudden, that one tree they had to have. Now, eating the fruit's not the issue. It really isn't. Joining Satan in rebellion, that's the issue. Discovering disobedience, that's the issue. And the spiral of human events spiraled down from there. I think sometimes people make the mistake of seeing the Bible as a condensed history of the universe. It's not. Simply put, it's the history of a certain man named Adam and his descendants. All other episodes of history are included in the Bible only because they help us deal understanding how God deals with Adam and his descendants. That's me and you. How God deals with me and you. The story begins with this tremendous statement that can never lose its impact. Genesis 1 1. You know what it says, don't you? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, 
God created in the beginning. Okay. Who's beginning? Not God's. It was us. It's our beginning. It's the story, the beginning of our story. Adam's race. God created, so he has authority. I either align myself with his authority, or I reject his authority. No third option. This is big picture stuff. The meaning of life is I live that God received glory. My decisions, my behavior, who I am. Now we have evidence of episodes that are important to us before creation. God always was. Things happened before he created us. Things happened before he created the earth. One of my favorite stories is, is Job. He's unhappy. He, well, that's kind. He's ticked. He's happy with the way God's running things. And in the midst of this, in his complaining, he says, God, I need to talk to you. Well, God comes along. And God lays into Job. Job 38, 4-7. This is God speaking. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. Who determined its measurements? Who stretched the line? Where was its foundations? Who laid the cornerstones? And the morning stars sang. And they shouted for joy. Talk about putting God in his place. Who are you to tell me how to run the universe? Did you build this thing? And those morning stars singing for joy? It's obviously angels. Angels witnessed God creating us and they shouted for joy. Eternity passed. The theologians call things that happened before the earth and before our creation, eternity passed. Something else happened in eternity past. Jesus tells himself. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan falling like lightning out of heaven. That's God's judgment on an archangel named Lucifer. Satan. Satan occupied a place very close to the throne. He occupied a place of incredible power. And above that, he was beautiful. Theologians believe Satan was the most beautiful thing God ever created. Wait a second here. Satan? Beautiful? I've seen the pictures. Red cape. Tails. Horns. Ugly. I've seen all the horror movies. Satan's ugly. Not so, my friends. We have a picture of Satan. But God said to him, him is Satan, Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15, you were the seal of perfection. This is the enemy. Full of wisdom. Perfect in beauty. Right. You were the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald of gold. Workmanship of your triples and pipes were prepared for you the day you were created. You were anointed cherubim covers. I establish you. You are the holy mountain of God. You have back and forth the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways. You were created. Wow. Till iniquity was found in you. So, this thing is Satan. Is this horror movie ugly creature? Not so. Satan, theologians believe, is the single most beautiful thing God ever created. Satan understands beauty. It also says he has wisdom. Now, it's perverted to evil. But he's not stupid. In fact, everyone knows all the things the Bible talks about Satan. He's this, he's that. All the adjectives, not one time ever, the entire Bible, does it ever call him stupid. He's perfectly wise, but he's wise. He was beautiful. He is beautiful, but he's nothing more than a created being. So, why did he, why did he rebel in the first place? 
Pride motivated him to challenge God and claim a praise equal with God. Apparently, this Lucifer, Satan, had authority over a tremendously large amount of angels who remained loyal to him in this rebellion. They also discovered disobedience. And God cast him and all those that followed him, a third of all the angels followed him, and they were cast out of heaven. How did Satan convince a third of the angels to follow him? The Bible tells us. It's amazing all the stuff the Bible actually tells us. It says he traded. Now, in the Old Testament Hebrews, that means talebearer or slanderer. Remember, Satan's name means slander. Ezekiel 28, 16. By the abundance of your trading, your slander, you became filled with violence and sin. You defiled the sanctuary. By the multitude of your iniquities and the iniquity of your trading. Can you hear? Can you see him? To a third of the angels, to all those under his authority. He had authority over a third of the angels. How many is that? A billion, a trillion, a hundred? Who, who can guess? He's working it. You don't have the you don't have the recognition you deserve from the Father. Your position is beneath your ability. He doesn't see you. He doesn't appreciate your gifts. He doesn't know your potential. If only I was in charge, I would use you to the level that you could be used. Oh, I promote you. Now, this is never night. We have no way to measure how long Lucifer traded and kept the bombardment going under those angels under his care, until the revolt happened, they were all thrown out of heaven, he persuaded a third of the angels. Time out. Let's back it up. How do you know it was a third? It's amazing what the Bible tells us. Revelations 12.4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, and they were thrown to earth. Again, how many is that? Beats me. How many angels are there? Beats me. But a third of them are part of the rebellion. All this happens in eternity past. But it didn't end the rebellion. Satan takes this rebellion to earth. Introduces it to Adam and Eve. And so therefore, after all of that, you're in the battle. You're in the front lines. The battle is about you. To Adam and all his descendants. And temptation is always a false beauty. Frankly, if it was ugly, we'd be tempted. If it was stupid, we wouldn't be tempted. We're not dumb. If it made no sense at all, we wouldn't be tempted. He has a way of making evil look beautiful and getting our focus on that only. Remember, a gigantic garden, all Adam and Eve cared about was one tree. He has a way of making the evil beautiful. Because Satan understands beauty. He is a beautiful creature. He draws our attention. You're saying, yeah, he did that with Adam and Eve, but he's still doing it today. Why doesn't he change his tactics? Because it still works. Why on earth would you change something that's still working? I wasn't great, but I, I played high school football, and we had a couple of plays, and our coach always said, until they stop it, we keep running it. If they can't stop it, there's no reason for us to stop running the, be the beer. Whatever. If we don't stop it, what makes you think he's going to stop himself? He's still the traitor, the master of slander, and he talks to the Father about you and me. This is not a war about you, it's a war of you. He seeks to undermine God's authority with our lives, in the church, and the world. 
Satan got them to forget the entire garden and focus on a tree. It's been said, Satan begins with a simple lie and builds momentum from there. Satan says to us, this is all a fairy tale. Continue to rebel. People don't even know they're rebelling. You don't know we're at war. And the war is you. Satan loves the clueless. What's more unaffected than an army soldier that always in a war? Does God receive glory from my life? Becomes the first life question. In my behavior, in my decisions, does God receive glory from my life? That's a tough question. And the, the second part of that question, kind of the whiplash, if God's not receiving glory, then who is? You know that answer, don't you? That's right. Welcome to the meaning of life. People try to figure out the meaning of life, I just gave it to you. You are on this planet. You were created solely that God receives glory from you. The problem is, we can't give glory to God and say at the same time. Only one of us I get glory. Now the conflict began, I said, with pride. Let's back that up scripturally. Satan's beauty got to him. Ezekiel gives us so much about eternity past. Ezekiel 28, 17, speaking about Satan. Your heart was lifted up. You, in other words, you became proud. Because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. He was so beautiful he thought he could overtake God. And again, it talks about his wisdom. Never assume the enemy is stupid. It's a wisdom that's perverted, but it's wisdom. You were created to give God glory. And we must live our life every day. God, are you receiving glory from this, from this decision, from this behavior? Are you, am I giving over to you? Or is Satan really effective in going before God the Father and saying, let me tell you what Gene Tanner did today. You didn't get any glory there. Tomorrow night, I want to build up this. Let me give you a shocking statement. Creation happened because of the war. You were created only because of the rebellion. That was the first domino. Creation of human beings is because of the war. You say, can you back that up? Yeah, we will. Tomorrow night, the second time you've got to peel back and peel back and peel back. Sunday morning, Daniel gives us an explicit account of a 21-day battle between angels and heaven. And Daniel lays out for these 21 days how angels fought over us. I hope you don't miss this session. I really hope you don't. Because I think you'll come out with an with a encouragement, with a passion, and recognize there's so much more going on here than just going to church. There's so much more going on here. I don't want us to just learn. I want us to grow with the power of the reality of why I'm on this planet and what God is trying to do here in Fairbanks and North Pole. Let me have a word of prayer with you. Think about, go back and call and invite tomorrow night. At the beginning, I'm going to give a two-second recap of what we did tonight. So people come around and don't feel like I, I, I came into halfway through a movie. I'm going to give a real short recap and bring them up to speed. And we'll get into why human beings were created in the first place and why it was because of the, of the, of the rebellion. And how we go from there. For the three sessions, one down, two to go. We're going to, we're going to appeal this. A 
if you can make all three, you'll have a very clear understanding, I really believe, of what warfare is and who I am. I want to turn it over to Pastor Bob. We have a prayer with you. Father, we're not here to impress anybody. We don't have that time. But we want to reveal truth. And sometimes truth isn't kind. It's a myth that truth is always kind. Sometimes truth is hard. But we need to learn who you are, who we are. These passages of Scripture, you told us so that we would know. You, you want us to know what's going on. You want us to strive. You want us to win. You want us. You want us. And Father, there may be some that are saying, I have not lived for you. I haven't. I'm so thankful that you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. I didn't know it was in a war. Forgive me. Let me begin a, a journey with you that I really give you glory because of my life. Because that's why I'm on this earth in the first place. Father, I thank you for the peace of your spirit that we can sense as we gather together tonight. We pray for your power as we continue in our weekend. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus.